another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? What is up, man? We um we just went through what a lot of people call the most exciting weekend in sports. That is week one of March Madness. I'm not a big college basketball guy. You know NBA is my one and true love. You are a big NBA guy, but I feel like given your UCLA ties and, and otherwise, you have you have a college basketball soft spot. You're pretty... You're pretty plugged in. At least you used to be probably when you had more time. Is that fair to say? Uh, I used to be more plugged in, honestly. I'm plugged in the UCLA, but the general landscape, not as much. Um, but yeah. That's given, what I'm saying. Like back when you yeah. had a little bit more free time, a little bit less obligation, you were college basketball was getting getting its attention from you. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yep, that's right. So would you say, as it relates to an individual kind of event, does March Madness, especially this opening weekend, kind of top anything in professional sports? Or do you look forward to, uh, you know, the finals or the Super Bowl or something specifically more than more than these two weeks? No, I, I look forward to the finals and the Super Bowl more. Look, I love the first weekend. I used to be a bigger fan of it a couple of weeks ago. I think less so. I think nothing beats it if you're in Vegas with your boys and you're gambling <laughs> and you got money in all the different games. I think nothing beats that atmosphere. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, like as good as it is, give me the NBA Finals all day and then the Super Bowl. But how Do about you? you think- is that your favorite? No. I mean, I like March Madness in that I – and I feel like such a hater, but I just – I can't get past – the quality of play that I'm watching now. I know there's some amazing games, very, very exciting, but there's also so many, I mean, they're kids. They're just kids. You got to remind yourself. And because of that, I just, I can't get around some of the mistakes, some of the lack of fundamentals. And, you know, I think it's an amazing way that they've brought it together with the bracket and with the way it's scheduled, like 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. every single day. Uh, for four straight days, that's epic, right? Just the way that it's one after another and like the whole survive and advance thing. Um, the brackets, like the pools, like it's all it's all a great production. I'm less so looking forward to it only because I'm not as plugged in on what's going on. Yeah, and you know the funny thing is about, I saw this on Twitter, um, someone talking about how, or I don't know who said it, but you know how March Madness, apparently back in the day, there weren't multiple channels for games. There yep. used to be just one, and they'd cut from game to game, yeah. <laughs> right? Kind of like a red zone style. Or I don't know if they'd right. cut necessarily back and forth all the time, but they'd give you a look into like a game that's going on, something exciting happening, and bounce back. I actually feel like that would suit the first weekend better than the current model we have. Because I'd argue, if it's not your team playing, like I'm not watching some of these games in the first half. It's just bad basketball, right? Like I only care about the second half. Is it tight? Do we have a lower seed potentially upsetting a higher seed, right? So I, I think it needs to just be like a red zone-like experience instead of having to find how the fuck I watch true TV to see, I don't know, St. Peter's and in Kentucky, right? Like that, this model does not make a lot of sense to me. Couldn't disagree with you more. Dude, we have more options. Like, isn't that better? We have the ability to watch everything. So nobody's telling you to watch the first half of Texas Tech versus random Team X, right? Like, you can watch the close game between King, Kentucky and St. Peter's or whatever else you want to do. The thing is, here, here's here's what you need to do. You need to get YouTube TV, first of all, because YouTube I have TV, YouTube TV. Okay, so then it tells you exactly what all the games are. It doesn't matter what True TV is. It literally, in your home but screen. But I don't have True TV. You don't have it via via YouTube TV? I thought it's not. No, I don't think it's there. You need to upgrade your package, bro. <laughs> I've been sitting on True TV for years now. All for this moment. But like the point is, then it shows you the nice like panels of like which game's which and you can very easily toggle back and forth. And then because it has the scores at the top of every game, which is a huge, really, really good um, advent, you can just decide, hey, like this game is seven minutes left. Like last night, for example, I had switched away from TCU, Arkansas, uh, sorry, Arizona, and then check my phone later because Twitter was blown up and suddenly it was back. So I was able to kind of like immediately go back and it has, you know, all of those updates available to me. And, you know, it's just easy to watch whatever you want. Plus, if you do want to watch any any guy, like if it is your school, 
you'd be pretty pissed if they switched out of UCLA because, you know, Duke was playing Kentucky or Duke was playing Michigan State or something. Fine, let them offer all those, but I'm, I'm I'm talking about like a red zone package, right? Where they could do that too. With red zone, you're not watching Dolphins Texans. Don't tell me you're switching over to second quarter of Dolphins Texans, but you would care if the game is coming down to the wire. And March Madness is perfect for this because all the games aren't happening, like the ends of the games aren't happening at the same time, like you get with red zone, and it's like a frenzy. You have all the games staggered perfectly. I just want one channel where I don't have to leave and I can just watch end to end basketball. The the only thing I would say is that this only applies for the first two days. By day three, they've staggered the games enough, and there's fewer games. So oh, there's yeah. not really that many I'm only going talking on. opening weekend. Not even. It's Thursday, Friday. Even Friday, oh, Saturday, yeah. Sunday, there's really just not that many games. And so, like, a lot of them are playing solo or playing with only one other, one other competing game. Yep. And then the true TV is retired at that point, I think, for the most part. But... Um, yeah, the big story for me, by the way, is I was in Milwaukee on Friday. This was an amazing experience. I was there uh, at Pfizer Forum, uh, which just feels regal, dude. It's a beautiful yeah. fucking stadium. It is unreal. You could just feel like I thought Giannis was with me. He was kind of watching <laughs> and kind of hanging out. And like we were drinking beers after like, the whole thing. It's a very familial kind of vibe, but also cutthroat champions as well. It doesn't struggle on that. And amazing stadium. But nonetheless... They held uh, the first weekend uh, for for Virginia Tech, and we played Texas, and you know I got to see Yale and Purdue, which was awesome because uh, Jade and Ivy in person is special. Um, and then the reality is the nightcap included uh, Wisconsin. They were playing um, Colgate, and so the fans were. I mean, we were in Milwaukee, so it was eighty percent Wisconsin fans. But the way the tickets work is you can either buy session one, which is you know Yale, Purdue, Tech, Texas. Or session two, which was Iowa State. Were they playing LSU? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Iowa State, LSU, and then uh, Wisconsin, Colgate. But I guess the Wisconsin fans had nothing better to do because 80% of the fans for the first session were in red. There was like a smattering of Tech fans, a smattering of <laughs> Texas fans, and like a little bit more Purdue. That was the only other one. And then like just the parents of the Yale players, basically. Um but it was so much fun. I mean, we, we lost. We got outclassed. We we looked like a little league team compared to how they were just bludgeoning us, bludgeoning us on the glass. But that might have roped me back into college basketball. I watched a lot more on Saturday and Sunday than I thought I would just because I was kind of in that mode and that vibe. I mean, that's awesome. you got to see it in person. I've never been to a March Madness game in person. And then, uh, you know what they always say, like, the because of the single elimination, because these kids got – you know, not big contracts or anything like that. They're playing hard. It's a different kind of environment. It's a collegiate environment. Um, must have been exciting. But I do have to blame you for convincing me Virginia Tech was <laughs> the, the dark horse team. I had them going to the Sweet 16. They didn't even make it out the first round. So what do you have to say about that? What do you have to say about your Hokies, man? There was so much hype around them. Everyone was talking about how they're a dark horse team to get into like the Sweet 16 and even maybe Elite 8. Well, the fact is we once Kentucky lost, who was in our side of the bracket, I was like, what's who's stopping us from getting into the Elite <laughs> Eight? Like I had them into the Sweet Sixteen, but maybe the maybe I should have shortchanged this team. But I let my emotions run away with me as I often do. And you know, we were coming off the ACC title, first in team history, which was amazing. But the fact that we got an eleven seed, a lot of people saw that as a sign of disrespect, right? How could the ACC champions get an eleven seed? Maybe we should have seen that as a sign of what the committee knew that we didn't, which is that this was not a very good team. They were they they were good within like kind of they maxed out their potential. Let's call yep. it right. Of course, a conference championship beating Duke and UNC back to back that'll do it. But Texas has you know Texas is going to have NBA level athletes. Uh, we just never recruit well with big men. They had multiple dudes kind of punishing us down low. Then they're a team that actually does not score very well. They're very, very streaky. Dude, I don't know if you saw against Purdue. They had like legitimately like a 12-minute stretch where they didn't even score. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of hoping for one of those runs, except it went the other way. They got ridiculously hot in the second half. And so it's like, okay, if they're hitting their shots and they're strapping us on D, we had no chance. So we were only down one at half or down two at half. And then it really ran away from us, mainly because I just felt like – <laughs> we were playing scared and we were playing small. And once you do that, there's no chance. It's not even like the crowd was a big factor. Like I said, there was no home court advantage. 
if anything, we probably had a little bit more of a presence than they did. I'm sorry. I, uh, I got nothing to say, but I apologize to the to the public for that showing from the Hokies. I really thought that there was a world in which we were we were getting out of Milwaukee and into the to the regionals. Well, that, that's the thing about college basketball, right? The one thing I can appreciate, you know, as much as the product is way subpar compared to the NBA, um, it's it's just that teams can the you have to have the mental fortitude, and you can sense when a team clams up or starts getting a little tight or starts kind of letting it get to them, like you can mm-hmm. just feel it. And another team can just capitalize on that and run away with the game. And that's what allows for some of these swings and momentum between between teams. And mm-hmm. that doesn't ha- – I mean, it happens in the NBA, but that's more in the form of like hot shooting runs. But yep. in college, it's like self-inflicted errors, just mental mistakes. And it's, it's fun to watch. Uh, it's just a different style of basketball. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, there's a lot to be made. There's a lot of fun when you when you are able to feed off emotion the way that uh, you can in a college game, and especially because even if those aren't your fans, they'll get behind you. Like for yeah. example, I was just saying, Jaden Ivy. I mean, the I, the Yale game was not much of a competition, but he could just feel the energy of the crowd. It was his first, you know, big tournament moment. He's going to be a top five pick. Then last night he is you know, not really shooting much in the first half. Then second half, that takeover, he hits essentially the three that ices it for, for Purdue. And it's like, it kind of, it, you feel it like that moment breaking through. Yeah. And I think the NBA season's so long and then playoff series are long. It's like, okay, game two, was that really your moment? You know, this is a finance winner go home. There's literally nothing you can do, but to play well in each individual game, survive in advance. And that, that concept is, is undefeated. I think in sports. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, on that note of, of uh, Jaden Ivey being a top five pick. So, you know, one of the things that I think was kind of cool about this year's this year's tournament, of course, we didn't have it uh, two years ago. Last year, we had kind of a weird version with, you know, some people being out for COVID and like no fans and all this kind of stuff. This year, we actually had a really interesting situation where, you know, the top 10 or so prospects were all in the tournament, right? So we didn't have the the G League guys like a Jalen Green or Kaminga. We didn't have the international guys like a Franz Wagner or uh, sorry, not Franz Wagner. Uh, what's his name? Josh Giddy, right? We didn't have um, dudes who didn't even make the tournament like a Ben Simmons or Markel Fultz. Like we got to see all of the best dudes center stage. So this is Kevin O'Connor from the Ringers top ten, for example. Just to read it out to you, it's got Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith. Paolo Boncaro, Jaden Ivey, Keegan Murray, A.J. Griffin, Shaden Sharp, Jalen Duran, Jeremy Sochin, whatever, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. So between those schools, Baylor, Wisconsin, you know, Kentucky, Duke, Gonzaga, Auburn, Iowa, all these dudes are in the tournament. Who stood out to you kind of most? And as you think about the Kings, right, like as you think about sort of kind of veteran of the draft lottery process who's who are the guys that you're targeting both from where you're projected to pick as well as if you were you know jump up into the top four yeah so uh i think benedict matherin obviously oh, yeah. as a, as yes. a pac 12 guy you know end up watching a lot of arizona um i mean ucla played them three times and he's the kind of guy what what i like about him is um his the knock on him is consistency shooting the ball scoring mm-hmm. but he is a relentless fearless kind of scorer Mm -hmm. uh, with defensive upside he's a solid defender he's got good length at the wing so he slots into that two three position and and if we're the kings you know you're in that kings will probably be in the five six seven range yep um that might be a stretch to take him that high like right now he's going more closer to 10 but i think the way he plays looks like it'll translate well into the nba and then you have a game like last night uh, where he has those big moments, right? When Arizona needs a bucket, he's the one stepping up, making the plays. And and I know we put too much stock into the tournament, but he was already a top prospect before that. And seeing yep. that in the tourney only validates what he can be. So I like him. I also like Johnny Davis, um, Wisconsin, given that that team has, that team struggles so much to score and so much is put on his shoulders. Yep. And he's still able to, as the focal point of, or as a focus of the defense, 
still able to to get his shot off, get buckets, uh, and that kind of shot making ability and creation, I think translates well, even though he's not an amazing shooter. So those are two guys that to me kind of stood out um, after the tourney or after the first weekend. You know, it's interesting. Like uh, Johnny Davis was a guy that I watched a little bit in the big 10 tournament and did not like what I saw in this NCAA tournament. Everything I've read is that Wisconsin has like nobody around him. Then he lost his point guard yesterday, but you saw late down the stretch against Colgate, the ability to get his own looks, the ability to kind of like be very uh, crafty through the, through the lane. He's a shot maker, right? So if you put competent players around him, you see what he does. I also like that he competes defensively. Um, he He's someone that I think is a two-way player. Seems like he's a good kid. So he's a dude that I'm interested in because, you know, similarly to a guy like Jabari Smith, he's going to be very, very happy when he doesn't have to play with, the teammates that he had in college, right? Just you put elevated talent around some of these guys, competitive people who can get them the ball, who can play off of them. Their lives are going to get so much easier. It's kind of very similar to Cade Cunningham at what he did at Oklahoma State. You're starting to see it in Detroit right now where he's starting to take over. And I know you know they still suck, but Detroit is actually like way better now than they were in the start of the season. Yeah. Now that he's found his footing, I saw, I saw a stat, uh, b- you know, before they're in, uh, against Portland tonight, but they're 13, Oh, and one against the spread in their last 14. Right. So it just gives you an example of like, this team is coming around and, and you start to like give these guys the players they need. It becomes a whole different thing. You mentioned, you mentioned Benedict Matherin. He reminds me so much of a young sort of Jimmy Butler, just intensity. obviously, jump out the gym athleticism can shoot a little bit better than Butler could shoot. I think uh, for sure, you know, right now KOC, for example, has him 12th on his draft board. I bet you he's making a strong case for going top six, top seven, right? Especially when you think about the fact that he's going to have at least one more game versus Houston, a really good athletic team. If he shows that against them, I think that's going to give, Scouts a lot of hope that okay, this guy can score against NBA talent. Um, he he's awesome to watch, and again, not a lot of people watch him because East Coast bias. Who's staying up for Arizona? You're just not you're not paying attention to those games. I think yep. for me, the guy that's the biggest sort of hit or miss is well, obviously Chet. That's his own yep. conversation, but it's it's Paolo. Like Paolo has this ability to get to the rim at will, and last night he he would kind of do his drop set spin, and he was at the rim versus Michigan State, but. Then other possessions, he would look super passive, not know if he should shoot, if he should drive, if he should pass, and he would either lose the ball or make a lazy play. I don't know if he's got some type of thing with, like, there's too much talent around me. There's, like, I, I can't just be aggressive and be the guy. Or if he's still struggling through his decision-making. But Paolo's the guy that I have my own as, like, maybe the best player in this class in 10 years. I'm not that high on Paolo. I, I, I can see. I can see why, right? I can see some of the what makes him a tantalizing prospect. But part of me feels like he's one of those those fours in college that just don't translate. Um, and I don't know, like a Jabari Parker seemed like a... Uh, he's not he's not the same as Jabari Parker. They're different kinds of players. I get it. But Jabari Parker also kind of that big forward who could, could do kind of a little bit of everything, could score from different places. And it doesn't translate. And that's my worry. And we already know Duke has a lot of these guys who don't really pan out in the league. Um, so I don't I don't know what to make of him. Although he has, you know. He's got a little bit more burst than Parker. But I guess Parker also had that burst before. It seemed like he had skills. the burst. In, and, he, yeah. and Parker also had injuries and things like that. But yeah, I, sometimes he looks a little sluggish. Or maybe it's just because he's indecisive, like you said. But. Yeah. It's, it's going to be the shooting with him, I think, right? Like, he's only 32% from three. Um, he's got to get that up to 36, 37. Because, like you said, he's not big enough to play a low post or interior game only. He's got to stretch his jumper out. Um, and I think he can do it. It's just a matter of, like like you said, does he – defensively, Can he, who is he guarding, right? He's not guarding Kevin Durant's. Yep. He's not guarding a Giannis. He's too, he's too slow for Kevin Durant. He's too small for Giannis. Granted, everyone in the league is probably fits those descriptions. But in general, like, what's his role defensively? Can he turn into a Jeremy Grant? Unlikely, 
right? Yeah. He looks a little bit more plodding. He looks kind of like if he, but he's so strong. Like he could, he almost reminds me of like in DC, Rui Hachimura is sort of the similar build, six ten, you know, mid two hundreds, and kind of unclear if he can guard threes. He's decent against fours, but limited in his skill set. That's what Paolo reminds me of defensively. And to Rui's credit, he's strong enough to stay in front of guys, and that's what Paolo is going to try to have to do: use his strength over his speed. Yeah, but I mean, you brought it up the defense. He's not a bad defender. He's actually a solid defender from everything I've read, right? And I don't know. I haven't analyzed this game too much when I've watched Duke. But the problem is going to be who does he guard at the next level? And this happens with all these guys, guys who project to be good defenders in college. Mm-hmm. The guys who are in that kind of 6'10", 6'9", range struggle to, you know, is he big enough to guard Embiid and the big boys? Or does he can he guard Durant, get to guard Durant? And then if you're not really providing much on the defensive side, you can get played off the floor really quick, right? So he's going to be a great, good player. My hesitation is, is he a top three guy, which consensus seems to be he is right now. Yeah. Um, but would you rather take a chance on a J- I mean, it depends on what your team needs, but like a Jaden Ivey or a Keegan Murray, right? Um, or some of these wing prospects or guard prospects. So. I'm going on record right now to say I think I have Jaden Ivey number one overall. Damn, he reminds of me. Course. Of you John see, the, you see this dude in uh, like in person one time, and all of a sudden I, he's. I uh, just made a donation to Hall Purdue of College of Engineering <laughs> in honor of Jaden Ivey. No, I think with him, I just think about like how many bigs in the league, as much as there's been a mini revolution of bigs, how many bigs in the league are going to be the focal point of your offense in today's day and age versus a combo guard. He, it's almost like he combines what I like about John Morant with like the above the rim athleticism with the kind of that, that moxie and sort of the, I don't give a fuck. I'm the yeah. best player on the court kind of edge with a little bit of the Donovan Mitchell shot making secondary playmaker. He's not the playmaker that, uh, uh, that, uh, jaw is but I think he's kind of reminds me of Mitchell where it's like he may not be the point guard he's got to play next to a point guard but late game situations he's going to be on the ball um, and he's got enough size I think I mean you know he's not huge but he's he, you know he's 6'4 195 like that's pretty much what John Wall came into league as and he was considered a big guard at his position yep. so I, I really think you know when you think about the way the league's going as much as I like what Chet or Jabari, or some of these guys could bring, and we should have the check conversation. I just yeah. think that eight Ivy is positioned to sort of capitalize on the new wave of the league. Absolutely. I mean, I look. I, I love Jaden Ivy too, based on, and I haven't watched Purdue until literally the tournament. Oh yeah, oh, we should say ninety nine percent of what we're saying is based on the last <laughs> we're acting like we've been hours. like Mike yeah. Schmitz out here. We've been yeah. scouting these guys all year long. Um. What what I like about him and what I've also read about him, right, is that um, he does a lot of the little things well. He cut, he plays off ball, makes cuts. Um, you know, he, he didn't have a gaudy assist numbers, but he made, you know, tight passes and, and daring passes throughout there. He's got a lot of things you can improve on. And like you said, he's got that moxie and that the ability to finish and drive to the rim that once you have that, it already elevates your floor in the NBA like significantly. And he's mm-hmm. also been a good defender. So he's not like a sieve on that end. So like there's a lot of, and, and after we're seeing what Jod did this year and how much he carried Memphis and now Jaden Ivey's got the same haircut, Jaws tweeting about him. It just seems like they do. Yeah, a very good call. like the haircut yeah. and everything too. Yeah, I mean, Ja was like, he's that dude. And I was like, damn, he is. <laughs> and you know how I feel about Jaws' Twitter account. <laughs> very active Twitter account. Um, Very active. All right, let's talk. Should we talk uh, Chet? Yeah, let's talk Chet. So, I was watching the game. Who who is the uh, whatever the 16 seed that almost Georgia State? Georgia State, yeah, game one. I'm like, how is this happening? They have Chet. They have Timmy. They have this loaded team. I'm like, I don't know if Chet's affecting the game much. And then you look up, and he's got. 22, 6, 17, 6 blocks, 7 blocks or something, 5 assists, 4 steals, some crazy-ass line like that. And you pointed out to me his advanced numbers are breaking the database right now in college (laughs) basketball. 
at the same time, he's shooting 41 freaking percent from three as a seven foot two or seven foot three, like pogo stick. But I can't get around like not being able to envision what he's doing in the league. It's it, he's, he's skinnier than Kristaps when he came in and he's skinnier than Durant and Durant was a guard like skill. And this guy's trying to play as a big man. So I'm having trouble connecting the dots between what I think I know about the NBA and what this guy does. Cause I don't think we've seen this exact sort of version. No one knows what's going to happen with this guy. Um, I think we'd, if he becomes this, a really good player, we wouldn't be surprised if he busts. We won't be surprised. My problem, I'm a little bit more skeptical, and I know I'll be wrong about this. He's the kind of guy, if the Kings take him, guaranteed bust. Any other <laughs> franchise, maybe he does well. Um, his game is predicated. I mean, I know he's got the the passing, the shooting, all of that, right? But what makes him very effective is what he's doing down low. His defense, his finishing, um, Yes, he can step out and play all you know all across the floor, but you talk about 22.17 rebounds, a lot of that damage is done in the paint. You go into the NBA, you're banging with the big boys now. My mm-hmm. worry for him is he gets relegated to like a a four kind of spot up shooter big man type, right? Um I'm trying to think of a good comp. Not like Danilo Gallinari, but like you want him to be Embiid, you want him to be Jokic, you want him to be that guy who anchors your defense, anchors your offense down low. And my worry is that because of his size, and who knows if he's ever going to grow, you can always talk about these guys growing into their frame and putting on weight, but if he's relatively lean, I don't see, like, it's just hard for me to picture him going up against all these big guys. And, and you can say Giannis was also skinny coming into the league, but I mean, are the genes there with Chet Holmgren? I don't know, right? Like Giannis also comes from a family where all his brothers are freaking massive. Yeah. Is Chet Holmgren going to turn into this hulking physical specimen? No. So then what is his ceiling if he doesn't, right? That's that's hard to predict. He definitely won't be any type of just pure low post player. I think if you look at Porzingis as like the best case scenario, and I think he's a little bit more skilled than Porzingis. Porzingis was thought of as a unicorn before this ACL because he could basically gallop down the court he had three-point range. He wasn't amazing from three. He was, uh, you know, 35 36%, and he could rebound. He could defend. Like, he could just do a lot for the team in a way that we hadn't seen before. But he didn't play low post. Remember, like, we, even, in, even in Dallas, the, the criticism was always, like, whenever he, he was in the low post, it wouldn't work. And so a lot of his game was from the mid post, kind of turning and shooting over smaller defenders. Right. There's a world in which he still turns into that type of player. And I, and I wonder, like, if you use KP as the sort of, like, let's call it the uh, base case, why can't he at least do that? Where he's still productive, he's still, you know, blocking shots. He may not be a rim protector in the form of a Joel Embiid, but he's doing a different version of that. I mean, would you, I guess as a Kings fan, it doesn't sound like, if let's say the Kings jump to number two and there's a clear need at center. Well, I guess maybe not after the Sabonis trade, but is that a move that you would be like terrified of making or would you be excited about it? No, I think at two, you have to take him. I'm terrified of making the decision at one. Um, Like, I mean, look, you talk about Porzingis. That's a great comp. Porzingis was 30 to 35 pounds heavier at draft day. That's what I'm saying. He's skinnier than Porzingis. And and Porzingis grew to be 7'3", right? But, you know, I, I think at time of draft, he was about... Chet Holmgren's height, maybe another inch. Anybody what is Holmgren at right now? 7'1"? 7'0", uh, and 195. He's so skinny, he looks like 7'6", honestly. Yeah, he does because of how lanky he is, right? Um, so him and Jaden Ivey weigh the same. You know, Bill Simmons brought up, a, I don't know if you listened to his pod last night, he brought up a great point. Like, he kind of made a joke about it, but I actually thought it was a really good point. He's always hunching. When you watch him play, but but when he stands up and goes up, right, he, he actually is taller than you think because when he's running around the court or just kind of settling in his position, he, he has this hunch to him where you don't realize yeah. how tall he is. But The other thing they mentioned, which I thought was true, along with the hunches, at least he's not as stiff. 
Like the worst thing you could do is draft a dude who's going to then become the next like Sean Bradley getting postered on yeah. by everyone, right? Like at least he is somebody you can credibly count on to move around the court. Now, I don't know if at his height he's more susceptible to knee injuries or things of that nature. That's very possible. But like he's a guy I would trust to be active defensively. Um, yep. The other thing is like his he's so damn long maybe he's able to be a better weak side shot blocker than sort of like a direct rim protector where he's able to recover, make plays, come across the lane. Those are a little bit less valuable of defenders, but nonetheless, they can be effective. That's almost like what Serge Ibaka did in those early Thunder days. Um, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm as excited to watch him just from like a, I don't know what the fuck to expect standpoint as I have been about, I mean, I'm trying to think maybe since, Maybe since like Durant, honestly, because okay. Durant was similarly like this frame, but then they were playing him at shooting guard, so it's kind of the opposite of version of this, but equally like odd and hard to hard to decipher. No, hundred percent, dude. Like they're very different players, like obviously, but Durant had the exact same concerns. Like the whole reason he didn't go number one was because everyone talked about how much he couldn't bench, right? Like he couldn't bench. What was it like one eighty? One eighty five. Yeah, that's what one eighty five, and that became a huge story back then. Um, right. I like if I'm the Kings, you're number two. Look, when I talk about Chet, me being skeptical, it's not that he's going to be a complete bust. I agree. He's not going to be Darko or, or one of these guys who's just useless in the NBA. The worry, though, is that you're taking him number one. And could you get another guy? But at the same time, like a lot of these other guys in the top five, top 10, I don't know if their ceiling is as high as Chet, right? Like if you're going number one, you want a guy with a pretty high ceiling. Yep. And I don't think anyone can deny that Chet Holmgren's ceiling for what he could be is a really special player. And so it's hard to not take him one or two. Like, he's he's not a guy who's going to slide. No. I mean, right now the top three in some order is Jabari Smith from Auburn, who we haven't really mentioned. is a great player, I think. Just saddled with a bad team. Um, even though they were two seed, I just didn't don't know how – I mean, they got – boat raced by Miami, who is not a great team in the ACC. Um, quick shout out, the ACC, one of the most maligned conferences out there. Three of the Sweet 16 reside in the best conference in America year after year. Well, best conference. So, you know. Are we the leader? I think you are, yeah. Well, I think so. Big Ten has Michigan. They have Purdue. Anyone else? Iowa's out. Ohio State's out. Pac-12's um, got two. Pac-12's we're got batting, UCLA. We're, and... we're batting at a better percentage than you. Two out of three made it. You only, you guys had three out of five. Who Who's the other one outside of UCLA? Oh, Arizona. Arizona. And then USC lost to yep. a ACC school, for what it's worth. Nah, true. True. Um, Duke is... Duke's got title... I mean, they're... They've got to be like top three or top four favored at this point to win the title, I think. I I have no faith in Duke. I would bet anything against them. Did you that well, Michigan Coach State K, game? Coach K one one last ride, one nah, last shining moment. This is already a team that's known to collapse in the most the biggest moments, right? Um, well, the thing is, the two the one seed in their division or in their region is Gonzaga, who's struggled a lot in both of their games so far. Yeah, but Duke also struggled to put away Michigan State, and I thought they were way more talented than that Michigan State team. And they were down; they almost lost that game. Honestly, they were down five with like a minute yeah, and a half, seventy to sixty-five. Like, right? I was stunned. Yeah, I I just don't trust Duke. We see the same thing with these guys all the time. Duke, Kentucky, it's hard. Like I know that they have won championships in the one and kind of done era but they just flame out so early well yeah i don't think this one and done thing is i mean dude cal like think look at kentucky how many how many times have they've had stack loaded rosters with a ton of lottery picks and they haven't done jack shit and so it's definitely not the best way to win unless you get some type of generational talent like a um you know anthony davis or even a carl anthony towns that team went undefeated to the final four um I don't know. It, it, but, dude, this is the other thing, right? Like, the whole point of surviving in advance, like, the margin of error for, like, winning a title and then being sent home in round two is, like, yeah, so, so small. Coin flip. Yeah. Yeah, so nobody remembers. Like, if you go back and look through, and I'm not I'm not saying this from memory, but if you look, go back and look through the 10 last national champions, 
I bet there was a few moments in the tournament that they were like literally on their deathbed and nobody cares about those. So at that point, it's like, all right, it's not like one model works or doesn't work. It's just that in those coin flips, you could very easily lose. So I agree. I agree. But there's also a reason teams like Villanova and um, what's another one? Gonzaga, like year after year, go deep. They may not win it. They go deep. That's true. Because they've got a system. They've got a culture that's not upended every year. Like even UCLA, UCLA is known for getting top end talent. Lonzo Ball, like all these years we've had Shabazz, Zach Levine. We don't do shit. But the two years, we don't have any top end talent in this this year's team and last year's team. Johnny Juzang may be a second round pick, but there's a culture, there's a cohesiveness, and that I think is more conducive to winning than than what those programs are doing. Um not, yeah. not saying that I wouldn't take the talent every time. It's just no, like, of course. But I mean, chemistry is it's a known issue. Like, look at the NBA right now, and look at what the Sixers are dealing with. Look at what the Lakers are dealing with. Yeah. The the Nets, even like these teams that have been put together literally in one year, almost like a bunch of one and dones, trying to figure it out on the fly, even though they have supreme level of talent. Versus like a Toronto, versus like Phoenix, Phoenix. Is a juggernaut now. Yeah, you know, some Phoenix, and Phoenix yeah. has no one on their roster who you would say is definitively a top fifteen player. I would say, right? Mm-hmm. So where is that coming from? I know, I know they've had great health, but not. I mean, Chris Paul's been gone for eight weeks, so um, yeah. I mean, it absolutely matters. And and like another example, the Mavericks, like Porzingis is you know, objectively more talented than Dinwiddie and Thomas Bertans, but they made the trade, they changed the way they play, and suddenly this team is, you know, taken off. So, um, anyway, anything else on the tournament? Any other games that stood out to you? No, I look, I just want to give a shout-out to UCLA, man. The way these guys play, Dude. it's it's, it's what unbelievable. Were you a four seed? We're a four seed, but I feel like so You what? You won two games you were favored in? Yeah, but we're we're in every game. Like I look, we may lose. We can easily like you lose show to UNC. Up. UNC is the way they played last weekend. Forget the collapse. But I'm just saying, like this UCLA team, the way they're built, has a chance to go far. Um, they're going to be competitive in every game. Like I don't worry about them laying. Out. I had UCLA in my elite eight. I had them beating Baylor in this yeah. round. Who yeah. was your final four, by the way? And who is your like your champion and everything? I had Gonzaga, Arizona, UCLA, which are all in play. Oh. And then I had Iowa, who lost in the first round. And I had Gonzaga winning it all. Over? Arizona. That, I mean, okay. So I also had a first round Final Four knockout. Huh? I also had a first first round Final Four knockout. I had Kentucky. Um, oh, Tim. Then I had Gonzaga... And I had uh, Kansas and Villanova. Oh, so you got, three. you got three. Three. Still and and Kansas I and Villanova it, looking good, too. So, And I have Gonzaga over Villanova. The thing is, my when you start... But see, I missed so, miss so many picks to date. Like, it's really one of my worst brackets. And I'm never, like, great at it. I don't even remember if I've ever gotten all four Final Four teams, for example. But, like... It's really bad this time. Like every upset that I got, I just got all the upsets wrong. And then I got all the favorites wrong. And like <laughs> Virginia Tech is just leaving this crater of a massive hole in the middle of that that region. Um, so I the problem is Gonzaga is the, 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 favor, or the most picked team, I think. And so I would almost have to get Gonzaga over Villanova exactly right. And even then to win any of the brackets, I mean, I need a miracle. So that, that's a problem I'm having right now, where I got a lot of things randomly wrong. And I'm not doing horribly, but I picked Gonzaga. And so anyone above me, a lot of them picked Gonzaga over like Arizona. So there's no way I'm going to leapfrog any of them, right? It's just... Are you in a bunch? See, here's where you got to go. Got to go second order of insight here. You live in the West Coast. You need to pick heavily against West Coast teams. Yeah, I know. Last year, my angle was, you remember how hyped Illinois was last year? Yeah. They were one seed, and people in this area were like, "Let's go! This is our time!" Blah blah blah. I picked them to lose round two. I never even—I don't even know if they're good or not. But I was just like, "Let's go against the Midwest grain," and that's what happened. And I still ended up getting like ninety-eight, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> I had them in my—I had them in the finals last year. Exactly. See, but that's final. that's a smart move for you because everyone else on your end is yeah. probably picking. That would have won me the bracket for sure. Right. Right. Exactly. So. 
That's how you gotta even if you even if you think that's totally off. Yeah, but I can't pick against the I gotta back the pack, man. We're like we're so just neglected that I feel the need to just kind of show out for my conference. Like there's a real Pac-12 bias. Like I know this year we had a lot of teams that weren't that good, but I just Isn't feel that like we more don't the anything. bias than anything else. No, but I, like UCLA should have been a three seed. Like there was no reason they should have been a four seed. But there's just this bias that knocks everyone down a seed or two. I um yeah I don't. I mean ACC had a tough tough go too. UNC got eight. Notre Dame got eleven. Miami got a ten. Virginia Tech got an eleven. Other than Duke, who was probably overseeded, everyone else has gotten disrespected to some degree. And the team they were all crying about, Tennessee, got dumped by Michigan anyway. <laughs> so, you know, and Kentucky got dumped. SEC is the one that's really been bad. Yeah, SEC has been. A, but look, I don't know why they were they were overseeded to begin with. Do they have? I don't even know if they had anyone else. I'm like, especially with conference realignment, I'm like they having trouble. Arkansas, Arkansas's still alive. Yeah, they're still alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, the S is silent, by the way. I said Arkansas. Oh. I said Arkansas is still alive. Oh, okay. I'm just. <laughs> what do you think? I, think I, don't, I know. don't know if you watched Ozark or not. I'm from the West Coast, man. We don't care about any states yeah, exactly. east of California. Flyover state like you read about <laughs> Arkansas. That's for damn sure. Um, all right. Let's let's wrap up with a little bit of NBA talk. Um, NBA was put on the back burner this weekend. On Thursday night, there was just one very, very lonely game. It was Magic versus the Pistons, and I <laughs> bet on it, and I lost money. Yeah, what did you so bet they, on? I did my stat parlay thing that didn't work. Oh I had, um, I, I had like Sadiq Bay. It's funny because the one thing that I got right out of like the four events was Sadiq Bay to score fifteen plus, and he had like eighteen in the first eight six minutes or some shit. And I was like, all right, I'm feeling good. And had like Mo Bamba to get six rebounds and why do you stack all these? Cool, Anthony. especially with guys like Mo Bamba. Like, how can you rely on that? Yeah, I. The problem is I don't know anything about college basketball, so I'm like I don't know that I want to like bet too much on that because I just I guess I don't know anything about the NBA either based on my track record. So, um, anyway, let's go into the to the league. What we thought we'd do is. There's roughly, I think most teams have between, you know, 11 and 13 or 14 games left here. So we're getting down to the stretch run. There's, I think, three and a half weeks. Three weeks from today, tomorrow will be the uh, the first play-in game. So we're, we're right there on, on the cusp. What is your biggest question uh, as you think about the Eastern Conference? And then we'll do one each for the West. Eastern Conference, it's uh, who's going to avoid the two seed? and play the Nets. Or the question should be, who's going to play the Nets, right? I'm assuming the Nets are going to uh, beat the Raptors in the first game and claim that seventh seed. Yeah. And right now we have the Bucks and Sixers kind of half a game apart. Sixers resting hard in Embiid tonight, uh, as you uh, pointed out in our separate message about how they're dodging the, the Heat. And that is going to be the difference between playing Cleveland in the first round versus Brooklyn. And that's a huge difference. Right. And I don't see any scenario. I mean, I don't know how the Bucks are playing this down the stretch, but I think both teams have no incentive. It looks like the Heat have locked up one. So both these teams have no incentive to be in the number two spot. But curious to see do what you think? Do you think the Bucks? We know the Sixers are running from any and all competition or, or semblance of, of – uh challenge but do you think the bucks will even remotely do anything to avoid the nets i don't know i feel like they should though because why would you want to draw milwaukee or sorry brooklyn in the first round and the other part i didn't mention either is that boston the way they've been climbing they are now tied with the sixers like they're only half a game behind the two spot too so you have three teams now and all the all three teams would rather be in the three or four slot because that means you play either the Bulls or Cavs. Both teams that I think we would agree are likely not making it out of the first round, no matter who they play. So, we I mean, we have to spend time on Boston at some point. I mean, they are outrageous right now. I think, what was the stat? They're 21-4 and four in their last 25 with a net rating of plus 16. So not only are they winning, not only are they playing amazing defense, they're bludgeoning people. They're destroying them. 
second bludgeoning reference of this of this i've never used that <laughs> word before i think um but nonetheless uh they're killing people. I mean, they're beating the shit out of Oklahoma City. Not not much to write about that. But coming off a of back-to-back where they were in Denver last night in a sort of marquee matchup against, uh, you know, the presumptive MVP. And what do they do? They just they, – they, they beat them so badly that the Nuggets started the second half with their bench lineup in as like a way to like fire up the team or I don't know, maybe we even wave, wave the white flag. So Boston's not getting enough love. They're starting too slowly. They're just so mediocre for so long. I don't think people recognize this as more than a hot start. But, you know, I think it's a good question. It's like because the Nets may not even get seven. That's what, you know, it's not a guarantee they win that first playing game. It is if they play Cleveland because Kyrie can play. If they play Toronto with no Kyrie, no Ben Simmons, you know, you kind of need a Herculean effort from Durant. And do they blow a 45-minute game from him right then and there? That's that's the question. So that's the hardest part right now is you don't know whether to plan for being seven or eight. And eight is Miami no matter what yeah, like you said. Yeah. So I guess that's the point is like you just avoid seven. You don't worry about the rest. Exactly. Um, so to your point about Boston. So actually, I was at the King Celtics game on Friday uh, and I saw them dismantle the Kings live. They won by 29 points, I think. Um. And what what happened that game was just Tatum and Brown were just lights out from three. Just everything was going in. And I think this is the reason everyone was kind of down on the Celtics for several weeks. We've seen this so many years, so many times, right? I think Tatum and Brown now, when you if you have two wings who, you know, we always talk about Paul George and Kawhi, like that tantalizing idea of like these two wings who are big, they can score, they can play defense that gives you pretty high upside. Now, mm-hmm. the reason why it's still hard for me to take the Celtics seriously is because how often, no matter how dominant they are, it's always like a two-year thing in the NBA. Like, given the number of good teams in the East, it's just hard to see them go through the entire gauntlet. Maybe they'll get an upset here or there, like against Philly. But going through that entire gauntlet in this first year that they're really good, I still think they're a year away. So... I, I get it. I get all the advanced metrics. I get the, you know, 21 and four in the last 25 games, whatever absurd defensive stats, but it's hard for me to pick them to go to the finals. Well, the question is really about like what those matchups become. And I think you've always hit on this, which is like as deep as the East is, there's still now there's probably four teams that I'm, there's really, in my opinion, a top three then it starts cascading down. So I kind of think that Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Boston are the three best teams in the conference. Wow. And then you have I in 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 a playoff context. Let me say this much. I don't trust Miami to need Tyler Hero to get 25 at night to win playoff games. And I'm not sure how much I trust Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo to be those number one scoring options. I know they have a bunch of defense and I know they have strength in numbers, but I get worried about that a little bit. Two, second tier, I would probably have two teams, which is Miami, uh, Miami and Philly. And then tier three, I kind of have Chicago um, and, you know, the rest. Chicago, uh, Toronto, Cleveland. And so the question really becomes, if you can forge a path that allows you to hit Chicago than Miami, that's yep. suddenly a lot more favorable than going through you know, I got to go Philly first, then Milwaukee, then Brooklyn. And then by that time, to your point, it's like, how much can you get lucky getting through series where you don't have the best guy on the court? Well, no matter no matter what right now, they're going to have to go through. I get, uh, I get I, I see what you're saying. If they're in the yeah. four or five spot right now, they beat the Bulls. Then they play Miami, who you think is in a tier below them. Yeah. And I, then, I you think, know. But, but I will say, well, I said that Miami actually matches up well versus Boston. In Miami, dude, I, I think Miami. I might be that. disrespecting them a little bit, but I just like they. You know, I'm not going to take too much from tonight where they lost to a Sixers team without Embiid or Harden. But um, I, I just I look at them and I'm like, do I trust them? I can't get out of my head what happened in the Milwaukee series last year where they just looked scared and then Milwaukee was too big and just dominated. I think all those teams from the bubble who went deep into the bubble were running on fumes. Like, 
Denver. Uh, Denver wasn't running on fumes. They just had no players. Well, that too. <laughs> but Miami, um, I, it, it's hard to look too, put too much stock into that. And they're a completely different team this year. Even without Lowry, they're playing at a very different level than they did like last year. Like Hero last year struggled a lot. Uh, Miami as a whole struggled a lot through last year because of COVID. They got hit hardest, I think, by COVID out of any other team in the league. Hero's um, been amazing. Um, Hero's a guy that you look at, you're like, all right, this is um, a totally different player. I mean, was last year a blip? And if you look at last year's numbers, they were a little overblown. It wasn't as bad as people made it sound. Um, I think so he started think, off really bad, and then he picked it up. Yeah, it was like, it was, you know, first impressions last kind of thing. So that's the thing with Hero. I do feel like um, he was a little bit better than people remember, but now he's turning into you know, the number one score on a crunch time lineup for the number one seed. And some, you could look at that and be worried, or you can look at that and be excited. I'm choosing yeah. to take a pessimistic tone. I might be proven wrong. Yeah. Uh, should we go to the West then? Yeah. What's your, like, why don't you start? What's the big question you have out West? The big question I have is return from injuries. You have Chris Paul for the number one seed who is going to come back. But again, we we saw him have hand and arm injuries last year in the playoffs. It kind of held him back, coming back from a broken thumb. You have Stephen Curry, sprained foot with the Marcus Smart fall. He's supposed to be back for the playoffs, but who knows if he's going to get any regular season ramp up time. You have Jamal Murray, who is assigned to the Denver G League team. But Michael Malone still said he's ways away from actually returning to the Nuggets. So we don't know if that's going to happen. And now suddenly, by the way, they've fallen into the seventh seed. So they're in the play-in all of a sudden. Um, and you have Paul George, who has started practicing again with the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard has not, but they've said all along that maybe he could be involved. There's just so many unknown. And Anthony Davis, like right? Like Anthony Davis could come back. We're suddenly the nine-seed Lakers. They're starting to turn a corner, potentially. They had a big win in Toronto. They had another big win tonight in Cleveland. They probably should have beat the Wizards on Saturday. So it's really about, if you boil it down to something, it's who is on these different teams when it actually comes to crunch time. Because it's fascinating to see, aside from probably Utah, Dallas, and Memphis, everyone else is kind of jockeying around with like who their lineups are actually going to be. Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty with lineups across the board, like you said. I think the other interesting thing to, to watch for is the Timberwolves now are in the sixth seed, right? I mean, they're tied with the Nuggets. Um, and that that means a Warriors-Timberwolves first round, which, look, if I was the Warriors and I was playing the Nuggets in the first round, granted, like Murray, I don't know if he's ever going to come back, but that's a much more difficult matchup. Yeah. You get a round against the Timberwolves, you can kind of ease your way back into things, and I think their path looks a lot better. Um, they still have to go against Memphis, which will be tough. But to me, that's a question, a big question. But, you know, to your point, the Lakers, the thing with the Lakers is, as well as they're playing, we already know they're for sure slotted into the 9-10. And the, Nug the Clippers and either the Nuggets or Timberwolves are going to play in the play-in as well. Um, so no matter what they, you know, do, they're still going to have to go through those play-in games. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Outside of those two things, like I agree the lineup questions are all there, but it's not that interesting to me. <laughs> a lot of these first-round matchups are going to be um, – I mean, Utah-Dallas, but everyone already thinks Dallas could win that series, and that's a 4-5 or five matchup anyway. I don't know that I would say that, though. Like, I think Dallas is getting a lot of love and Utah is getting a lot of hate because it's one stale, one's fresh. You know, one has boring stars, one has Luka. But, you know – Utah, they've been up and down all year. They've been better when they have had Gobert and Mitchell. I think everyone knows that this is their last run, and so that can't be discounted. Like, I would pick Dallas in that series, but I don't think it's just like this walkover that people are trying to No, it's not count it to be. Especially if Utah can hang on to number four. Now, I don't think that they're going to be able to. I think Mavericks are going to overtake them. Utah lost tonight. The Mavericks are well on their way of winning right now, so that's something to keep an eye on, but... 
ultimately, you know, they're still going to get give Luca problems because he he's not the kind of their their lineup will be the type that can help exploit the Gobert matchup, but he can he still operates so much in the paint like Gobert will still have a role there. You know, it's yep. not like he's going to get played off the court the way he did in the Clippers series where it's five athletic shooters. So that's, I think, something to keep in mind. I think the more I look at it, the West, it just feels like the Suns, and they're not talked Suns about. Warriors. And, and I, yeah, it's Suns Warriors, but I also feel like the Suns, I actually have a very hard time fo- seeing them losing to the Warriors. And I know the Warriors, it's Steph, it's Clay, it's Dre, but I just don't think we give enough credit to how good the Suns team has been, for whatever reason, right? And I think it's what you said earlier. They don't have a top 15 guy. So we don't see them as your traditional kind of juggernaut with like right. some superstar leading the way. But I don't know, man, it, to, especially with Steph now that injury and, you know, coming back, who knows what it's going to be like. And Draymond is is back. But all these guys have had their nail, like, nagging injuries throughout the, the year. Mm. It looks like it's the Suns kind of who could just coast through, not coast, but, you know, relatively unscathed into the finals. Yeah, I mean, the Warriors, when they're all on the court and they haven't been on the court, I think they've played a total of like, I don't even think they've played all three together uh, for more than a game because Steph got hurt like basically right after Draymond came back. Um, We haven't seen it, but everyone is getting reps. So that's the one thing. If you're a Warriors fan, you're looking at how do we beat Phoenix, you say, well, Steph Curry owns Chris Paul uh, historically. And Draymond Green can, can play up to DeAndre Ayton. He won't give up that much. Then you have every complement of wing defender you can throw at Devin Booker. And you have a lot of shooting with Jordan Poole, especially, you know, how well he's playing recently. And then hopefully they get a better version of Clay. I mean, I think if the Suns and the Warriors played, there's so much pressure on the Suns. Um, just given the history of, of Paul and Curry, given the Suns were, you know, on the doorstep last year and couldn't get through it. Man, I would, I would be very close to picking Golden State in that in that series. You're right. I, I I could see it. I could definitely see it. But at the same time, I would not be surprised if the Suns like won in five. Yeah. Health, healthy healthy Golden State, and when I say healthy, I, I need all of them, is equivalent to healthy LeBron, where I'm just not going to go near them. Yeah, I'm just going to say, hey, you, you right. let me know when you're done winning, and then that's fine, and I'll be, okay, I'll, after the fact, I can – can can account for that. I'm not going to be the one to predict it. Even now, I won't write off the Lakers. No, nah, you're right about that. I just talked about their hot streak. They went two and one, and I was literally like, "Yeah, well, you know that <laughs> nice win against Toronto, blew a 15 point lead to Washington. They should have beaten the Wizards. <laughs> yeah, right. That's almost three and zero in the woulda, shoulda, coulda category. So I just I, I can't do it. Like he's been doing it for too long, and the Warriors have been doing it for too long. I agree. That's the tantalizing thing about the Warriors that we haven't seen it. Like you said, it's, it's one thing if we saw it this year and they were a step slower. They didn't look like the old Warriors. But, but they looked good when it. they had everyone. That's the thing. Like when they've yeah. struggled, it's been when Draymond's out. And you can say that that's an indictment on Steph or whatever, but fine. Like that's why I'm saying don't count Steph individually. Count the whole kind of construct of this team as one entity. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'm so excited, man. I mean, every year I feel like really pumped, and then a couple of the series end up being not that tight. But I think this year you're going to get at least three or four really good first-round series, and then the second round is going to be a bloodbath across the board. Yeah, it's uh, second round will be good. And even in the first round, we're going to get a couple of good ones, um, especially because of Brooklyn, because of L.A. potentially, right? You're going to get stars in that. That yeah, like either matchup. LA team is going to have stars, especially if, if Paul George comes back. And I think it would be pretty short-sighted for Kawhi to come back. But if he does, that's going to be another one where you're looking at it like, oh, man. Didn't they already report that he's likely not coming back? Did they? I, I It always kept changing, so I never knew. Well, I don't know. I, I thought I saw something about that. but No, yeah, that's right. They did report Zion is not coming back. But look, he's, major, another, he's another guy that's like very likely not coming back. Yeah. As amazing as uh, March Madness is, look, at the end of the day, I, I think the the NBA playoffs, it's nothing beats it. And 
March Madness just by the fact that it's not about the way they play. It's not the fact that they're college kids. Why it's so exciting is still because it's a single elimination game. Mm-hmm. If you want to watch St. Peter's, Kentucky, best of seven, like, would they be playing as hard? Would you be seeing, like, you know, the same kind of excitement? Also, it would be 4-1 no. Kentucky. It wouldn't, St. Peter's wouldn't have advanced. And we talk about it very differently, right? So as much as I love March Madness and... I hate it when the narrative gets to like, these guys care more. They try harder. You don't see that in the NBA. Yeah, you're comparing to regular season NBA, fine. But like in the playoffs, these guys are going at it. The difference is just a best of seven instead of a best of one. So Agreed. I'm hyped, man. I can't wait. I love March Madness. I love this time of year. You go straight from college hoops, March Madness to playoff basketball. Um, and then and I'm back to watching Brady and training camp, just ready for another buck season. The year of Karthik's back, baby. It I never actually left. don't know if we, when we last recorded, if that was before or after Brady announced he was back, but he looked, he took one damn look at the NFC South and was like, what the hell am I doing? I am basically retired by also playing and getting another division title and possible Super Bowl run. It's not going to be that much harder than what I was doing at home. So let me just come <laughs> back. And today Matt loved, Ryan got I, traded. I all yeah that was literally everyone's going to the AFC. I also you know I don't think we did talk about the Brady thing. I want to say one thing. I am just absolutely appalled at the disrespect the Bucks have gotten throughout all this. Oh my! God. He literally said in his post he's coming back to Tampa, and you still have so many media heads and Bill Simmons talking about Niners are still in play. Niners week one, like Brady's calling up Bucks free agents to come back to the team, and people are like, "Don't count out the Niners." Like. The disrespect, man. People act like he hated Arians, hated the team. He won a this Super Bowl. This could be like when LeBron he told the to Heat to draft Shabazz Napier and then he still <laughs> left that summer. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying, like, I, the disrespect has been unreal. He's Brady hyped. has he's no back. choice but to write that because he's under contract, so they'd have to trade him. But yeah, he's not going anywhere. I saw him practicing with Edelman today. So no, no, that, that was a year old video. Oh, okay. You're always up to date on these like social <laughs> yeah. sort of things. Yeah, yeah. And he was practicing at UCLA, so that was actually from a year ago. Um, they had that practice session. But Gronk might come back, dude. Every, everyone's uh, we got Godwin. We got all the major guys. We got Russell Gage. It's gonna be a. It's gonna be a good year. Nothing makes less sense in all of the the entirety of sports other than the NFL salary cap. <laughs> it literally couldn't be less like unclear what it means to have or not to have cap space because every team doesn't have cap space yet still signs like all these dudes to massive deals and none of it matters yet my team seems to never have cap space nor do they have good players so i'm genuinely confused about how any of the mechanics work i have to hear any more about dead money or roster bonuses or converting this to that and just fucking kill me and the funny thing is it's not that complicated to push out money either because um, a, a lot of the ways like the Bucks and a lot of these other teams dance around the salary cap is giving players money up front or doing different creative with their signing bonus, like things that benefit the players. So there's like, even if you're not a winning team, you can do a lot of things where the players are willing to do it and help you out. So it actually blows my mind that a lot of teams like the commanders – are always in the situation they're in. And uh, hey, you got Carson Wentz now. You paid a price, heftier price for Carson Wentz than. Uh, okay, the there's been a lot of that, but people Maverick. seem to not be. People seem to be ignoring the fact that they gave up a first for Wentz. You can't just discount that, too. Fine. You can't just choose when you want to start your timeline of let's let's do the transaction swap. It's sunk cost fallacy, right? We're not comparing it back to that move. Like that happened, fine. But now it's just funny that. The Wentz, Wentz trade was a sunk cost. That was two weeks ago. No, no, but the but the Wentz trade it's in the same off season. Like that's really when you can judge sunk the cost. It's sunk cost. It's all a sunk cost. Everything's a sunk cost. Everything's fifty fifty. When are we talking NHL playoffs and the Capitals run for maybe Ovechkin's second Stanley Cup? What's I have literally? It's funny how as someone as as big of a sports fan as I am, who's on ESPN all the time, constantly consuming sports shows. I have learned nothing about the NFL this year or NHL. I could tell you not a single thing. I don't know how the, the Sharks are doing. I don't think they're doing great. Nothing. I, I, and I'm kidding, to be clear. I know nothing either. I went to a couple Blackhawks games for work, had good seats. That was about the extent of 
my NHL uh, sort of exposure. Even the Capitals, I don't think I've seen them play one game this year yet. So um, I don't Yeah, expect- but when the Capitals won a championship, you were about – didn't they win recently? Yeah, yeah. They, they won, won in 2018. 20- yeah, you were talking about them like, you know, this is your first and only team. Oh, man. I guess we'll have to we'll have to see if they make a run, then maybe we'll talk about it or bring someone on who knows a damn thing about it. Um, Durant, by the way, fifteen of twenty three, thirty seven again tonight. So insane, thirty seven nine and eight by himself. No, even Seth Curry was gone. Insane man. Um, don't want to see him. Hey, there's no shame in running from that Nets matchup. None at all. The funny thing is the Nets need to keep still playing well because uh, they're only a game ahead of Charlotte. Yeah, who did lose today, so that would now be two games. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. Or, oh, I didn't see the night. Charlotte loss today. But my point is, you don't want to go through two and play in games, especially when... Well, the Lakers are just trying to get a home playoff game this year. <laughs> yeah, they're struggling to even get that, so... Oh, man. All right, that's a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please email us, follow us on social, uh, do it all. Keep keep listening and, and spread the word. Thank, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.